The Breakfast Club with Katie Flannery. Online, on mobile, on digital. Waking you up every morning. Hello, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Club. As always with me, Katie Flannery, on this lovely Tuesday morning and Pancake Tuesday no less. Coming up on today's show, do you have leaving lockdown anxiety? Clinical psychologist Dr. Mally Coyne joins us on the show today to tell us more. In my mind, I thought last June people would be relieved we were coming out of the first lockdown and there would be a sense of can kind of drop our guards ever so slightly. But actually there was increased anxiety amongst children and parents around that time. Have you heard of Coco's Law? Sex and relationship expert Dr. Caroline West joins us to discuss image-based sexual abuse. If you share these images, you are committing a form of sexual violence. Just no ifs, ands or buts. And is that the kind of person that you actually want to be? Do you want to be a person contributing to sexual violence in Ireland? And we find out the secret to a great pancake from TV chef Owen Sheehan. And as always, you can get in touch with the show on Twitter at The Breakfast Club or you can email us at hello at thebreakfastclub.ie. But first, the news is read by Erin Carey. Good morning. It's nine o'clock. I'm Erin Carey. Education Minister Norma Foley is planning for the phased return of all students to school next month. The target date for the wider reopening is hoped to begin from Monday, March 1st. Minister Foley told the Cabinet today that it is her strong preference that all students will get back to school in March. The Road Safety Authority has admitted that over 480 driving tests were cancelled last week for weather-related reasons. The RSA has rejected claims that driving tests were being cancelled due to low temperatures. Chair of Unite's approved driving instructor branch, Dominic Brophy, says learner drivers need to be treated better. And we feel as if we treat our customers very, very well, with great respect, and we feel as if the Road Safety Authority are very dismissive of that customer and they need to be treated better. Almost half of cancer patients have said that their diagnosis has negatively impacted their career. Megan McKearney-Brosnan reports. In a survey of 377 cancer patients, 68% of patients felt supported by their employer in returning to work, while 46% felt their diagnosis negatively affected their career. Women, younger workers and the self-employed were more likely to report a negative impact. One in 10 cancer patients also reported a salary reduction upon their return to work. Turning to sport and Serena Williams produced a stunning performance to beat second seed Simona Halep and set up an Australian Open semi-final with Naomi Asoka. The 39-year-old American, bidding for a record-equaling 24th Grand Slam title, won 6-3, 6-3 against the Romanian. I definitely think this is um, the best match I've played this tournament for sure and obviously I had to um, going up against, you know, number two in the world so um, I knew that I had to, you know, do better. The Champions League returns tonight as Liverpool look for a welcome distraction to their poor domestic form. Carl O'Sullivan has more. Jurgen Klopp's side take on Germany's Orbi Leipzig in Budapest this evening in the first leg of their last 16 tie. Liverpool have won just twice in their last 10 league games but captain Jordan Henderson says manager Jurgen Klopp is not to blame. Down to us to go out on the pitch and, and change the period, this tough period that we're going through and put a performance on for the team but for him as well. That's all for now. More at 9.30. It's four minutes past nine. Now, as you heard in the news, the Road Safety Authority has admitted this morning that 484 driving tests were cancelled this week for weather-related reasons. Joining me now is The Breakfast Club's Cahill O'Sullivan to tell us more. So, Cahill, why are these tests being cancelled? 
Well, Katie, the Road Safety Authority um, has rejected claims this morning that driving tests were being arbitrarily cancelled due to low temperatures. Um, however, the Unite Trade Union, which represents around 85 mainly self-employed driving instructors, have accused the RSA of cancelling these driving tests because the weather was too cold. Now, under the current COVID-19 regulations, the car windows must remain open during the driving test to provide natural ventilation, of course. But the RSA have said that driving tests are only being cancelled where leaving the windows open and continuing with the test would mean that conditions would deteriorate to such an unacceptable level that it would be impossible to conduct a driving test. Now I spoke to the chair of Unite's approved driving instructor branch, Dominic Brophy, to hear their side of the story and here's what he had to say. Very difficult for me to turn around to a, a driving test applicant and say to them, you know, I'm sorry your test was cancelled, but now also you have to pay me for car hire. It's just not possible to do, you know. So we're being brought out onto the road on the understanding that there's a test going ahead in an hour or an hour and a half's time. We're sanitising our cars. We're doing everything that we have to do. We're also taking risks. We spend longer in the car than a driving test. Driving test or a tester would spend half an hour at the most in the car for a driving test. We do an hour lesson. So we're essential workers. We're teaching essential workers. And then when we arrive at the door of a, of a test centre, the RSA are saying this is not going ahead. I've, I've spoke to many uh, ADIs, driving instructors uh, around the country. Um, some of them personal friends of mine. Some of them that I've known for many, many years have good characters. They're not exaggerators. And they're telling me firsthand the stories of what's happening to them. And it's very disappointing then to listen to the RSA statement, which is spin um, and saying, trying to make out that the reason the driving tests have been cancelled is because of snow and ice. We understand if a driving test has to be cancelled for snow or ice. We don't want our customers in danger either. But if it's because of discomfort, because a window is down, uh, we're moving into crazy territory here, you know. It's a great thing to be able to able to do, you know, to get a driving license, to get the freedom, especially for all the young people out there that, you know, are just starting their careers or they're going to college and it gives them great freedom. And that's what driving instructors do. It's a multifaceted job. It's not just they're very patient people. We are very patient people. We are counsellors. We become friends. And I'm, I'm doing this job 16 years. And I still, I'm still nervous when I stand outside at the side of the test center with my customer. I'm nervous for them. You know, I want them to pass. There's no greater feeling when they walk out that door and they've passed their test. But I have to tell you, it's a terrible feeling when they arrive on the day of their test and they're all geared up for it and they're ready. And somebody in an office for some strange criteria has decided that the driving test is not going ahead. Thanks, Cahill. And we'll have more on that story throughout the day. Now, as we all know, it was announced last week that lockdown is to be extended until April 12th. So this has, of course, left a lot of people feeling rather anxious and distressed. But there is a large cohort of people that feel anxiety at the prospect of coming out of lockdown. So we have on the line 24-year-old solicitor Daniel O'Boyle, whose mother owns a nursing home. So, Daniel, you are one of the many people who feel anxious about coming out of a, a lockdown state. Yeah, I think so. I, I, th- I think that there's an element of it that's not only, I, I think we spent the last year, I suppose, very fearful about the virus and about contracting the virus and bringing the virus home and that, that, you know, going out in, into situations where there's large crowds of people. I mean, even I find sometimes if I go to the supermarket, it's very much like very, very stringent on wearing my face covering, sanitize my hands, everything like that. And I think then going back, I suppose, into a society where we don't need to really do that as much is, is scary because I suppose 
in the last year, I think I've definitely seen a lot of new kind of social rules coming into play in quite a short space of time. At least now, I suppose we know, okay, hang on, it's crossing a boundary to go to shake someone's hand or it's crossing a boundary to give someone a hug now. But whereas when we're kind of coming out of that lockdown, it's trying to gauge where other people are at. So it's kind of trying to figure out if other people are still very anxious about contracting the virus and stuff like that too. Yeah, and that, that's a very good point. And we also have on the line clinical psychologist and author, Dr. Mally Coyne. So Dr. Mally, what did you think about what Daniel had to say? Yeah, I think Daniel made some really good points. I think it was similar, actually, after the first lockdown, I work with lots of kids and parents. And I found that in my mind, I thought last June, people would be relieved we were coming out of the first lockdown and there would be a sense of, well, at least we can kind of drop our guards ever so slightly. But actually, there was increased anxiety amongst children and parents around that time, because during a lockdown, the rules are very clear. As Daniel said, you kind of know what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do most people are trying to keep safe but when you come out of a lockdown those rules aren't there quite as much and I think that can create anxiety for people for sure so I mean if we think about it we've been as you said Katie a year into this on and off so it'll take a long time before we get back to some sort of kind of less fearful place. And do you feel like this is something that will make society maybe a little bit more insular in general, just because, as you said, you don't know what other people's allowances are. So even from a standpoint of, you know, not fear of the virus, but more so fear of social norms, you know, to go near someone, you nearly get dirty looks and of course, and rightly so. But do you think people will be very standoffish when people are coming out of lockdown and we're trying to get back into the run of things? I think people might be. I think it'll take a while. I mean, you can even talk about like the impact of mask wearing on small kids and on babies and how they respond to faces. I think it'll take a while for us to get back to, we may not ever get back to where we were before. And I think slowly but surely does it. I don't think we need to be going straight back life of craziness and busyness. I think if we take small little baby steps, that's the way to go. Yeah. And what do you think about that, Daniel? I definitely do think because in the initial first few weeks when we started coming out of it, I I was quite selective in in who I was meeting. So because I suppose I'm different in the respect that from other young people because I'm, I'm on a heightened sense of security around it because my mom actually runs a nursing home and stuff so be very selective in terms of like I'm not going to meet another friend who could work in a healthcare setting because of the potential impact of cross-contamination I suppose or I know that a lot of my friends I say are, are just posting on social media that they were you know at house parties or things like that then I made the conscious decision not to meet those friends because there's a higher risk so I think that there will be a course of I suppose a, a degree of risk assessment And Dr. Mally, do you think that we are kind of in a state that I know people have been suffering with job losses, but there has been, I suppose, levels of support there for people. We're in a kind of state of limbo now. Do you think that people are maybe worried about getting back to real life just because I suppose they're worried about what the fallout is going to be of all of this? I think so. You know, humans like things to be the same. We struggle when things change. But I think one thing this pandemic has taught us is that I always go back to the idea of compassion and this idea of you know common humanity where we all struggle and this is what it feels like to be a human being right now and trying to kind of you know use mindfulness which is kind of living in the moment feeling the feelings that you feel and not berating yourself for feeling those feelings yeah and I know there's no quick fix but are they the little things that people can do to I suppose just mediate it slightly at least 
Absolutely. It's kind of living day by day. If I see a sun outside and it's not raining, I'm like, yes, I can definitely go for my walk today. So it's like, you know, those things have become really important. You know, like, you know, I have kids where I'm trying to homeschool and, you know, keep a job going and everything like that. And just kind of being grateful for the small things, you know? Yeah. So, well, uh, thank you to the both of you for coming on. So thank you so much, Daniel O'Boyle and Dr. Mally Coyne. Thank you so much. If you have been affected by any topics discussed in this interview, you can free phone Samaritans Ireland at 116123. Coming up, we hear from sex and relationship expert Dr. Caroline West about the dangers of image-based sexual abuse. The Breakfast Club with Katie Flannery. Online, on mobile, on digital. Waking you up every morning. Welcome back to The Breakfast Club. This next interview covers sensitive topics that some listeners may find distressing. A week ago today, the Harassment, Harmful Communications and Related Offences Act 2020, otherwise known as COCO's Law, was commenced. The law creates two new offences criminalising the non-consensual distribution of intimate images, stalking and cyberbullying. Our reporter Kate Devaney spoke to sex and relationship expert Dr Caroline West about the dangers of online sexual abuse. While we live in a virtual world now more than ever, the importance of online safety and laws to ensure this is vital. Today we are joined by the Irish expert on sexual studies, Dr Caroline West, who talks about the law, the normalisation of abuse within Irish culture and how to protect yourself. The current law that we have, which did come in in December last year, the 28th of December, it was only enacted last Wednesday, so the 10th of February for Safer Internet Day. But that law has been in the process since 2017. Labour tried to introduce it then and it's just wasn't really viewed as a big enough problem or something that we need to care about um, by certain politicians. But it's been a long problem for as long as we've had phones and the internet, it's been a problem in Ireland. Like digital-based abuse is something that has a disturbingly long history in Irish society. Absolutely. And just so our listeners are aware, Coco's Law which was introduced February 10th, as Caroline said, it criminalises the taking, distribution and publication of images without consent. And although the law term is image-based sexual abuse, the phrase revenge porn has also been popularised. Which term do you use yourself, Caroline? So I would use image-based sexual abuse because it does what it says on the tin. It's using images to cause, to abuse someone and to cause someone pain and suffering and trauma. So revenge porn is a very snappy title. It's a lot snappier than image-based sexual abuse. But the problem with it is it's, you know, it's very kind of almost glamorised in the media. Oh, revenge porn. It's like food porn or... kind of makes it a little bit of a more entertainment thing and it's not entertainment using the right terminology is really really important because it really does what it says on the tin and we need to call out sexual violence as we see it when it happens in Ireland so that everyone understands that sexual violence is a spectrum and it takes many many different forms in Irish society so the better we get at really naming what's going on I think the more chance we have at building a healthier society and a consent culture where stuff like this doesn't happen anymore. Absolutely and I think it's important to mention that under legislation Coco's law is recognised as a harmful communication offence as opposed to a sexual offence. Do you feel this might lessen the seriousness of the crime? I mean on one hand I'd almost like perpetrators to have to have signed up to the sexual offenders register uh, if they get convicted of this because it's using sex as a weapon 
happen and that's what sexual assault is sex sexual assault isn't about sex it's about rape and violence and power and control so naming it for what it is again is really important but I'm just glad that there are now official consequences and quite hefty consequences as well so we're talking you know up to 12 years in prison which is fantastic to see that you know the severity and the impact that this act has on people is now recognized in Irish law the law is almost like it's too late sometimes I'd rather we had a society in Ireland where we didn't need to deal with things through laws that we have to fight for for years I'd rather that we work towards building that consent culture from the ground up so that would just be a really weird thing to do in Irish society to share someone's news. Of course, and image-based sexual abuse isn't just an Irish issue, it's a worldwide issue. But do you feel that Irish culture contributes to the frequency of the crimes in the country? I, yeah, I think we have a, a massive problem with violence in Irish society. And this is where we need an absolute cultural change. And, you know, change comes in different forms, such as educating people on what a healthy relationship is, what consent is, what what, you know, just healthy sex life is as well. And and just teaching people like, hey, this isn't okay and not excusing perpetrators, not victim blaming, all those kind of things. And I think each of us, everyone who's listening can take a little bit of a step towards building that in our society by doing things like calling out victim blaming or, oh, well, they shouldn't have shared their nudes. Like call that out. Like don't allow that to be there or rape jokes or, you know, all those kind of things that we can each build a better society the more we play our part in it. You know, if we look at what rape culture is, it's a pyramid. So at the top, you've got in-person sexual assault you know something that's committed on the body by a person there and then but that doesn't happen in isolation so down the bottom of that we have things like um, image-based abuse we have jokes such as oh well you know boys will be boys or what do you expect going out looking like that or you know rape jokes and you know all that lays the foundation for the acceptability of violence against people in our society. So it is a structural problem. It's not just, oh, this happens in isolation. So we can all play our part in calling that out because if we help stopping things like victim blaming, then maybe we can help, you know, stop things like, oh, it's normal to have sexual assault in a society. It's not normal. It's ridiculously common in our society, but it's not normal and it's not okay. And the bits that we can all do as individuals is call out our friends if they're sharing this kind of content, just be like, why what are you doing? Like that's not okay. If you're friends with a sexual perpetrator, why are you friends with them? Like why is that someone you want around yourself? You know, if if you know they're going out causing harm to people, that's not a good person to be hanging around with. So maybe look and reevaluate our friendships and what our friends are doing and you know, the kind of jokes our friends make. If you have been affected by any topics discussed in this interview, you can contact Women's Aid Ireland on 1800 341 900. Now, did you know that a third of Irish people do not know the meaning behind Pancake Tuesday or Shrove Tuesday? Well, to find out more, our reporter Megan McInery Brosnan met with TV chef Owen Sheehan to find the secret behind the perfect pancake. Big day coming up, Pancake Tuesday. What's it like in your house? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I suppose from a young age, we've always, I, I say we've always celebrated Pancake Tuesday. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have. It's, all, it's always an occasion. Every year, I would say since I've been six, we would have pancakes on Pancake Tuesday. It's just, it's, a, it's the done thing. Um, yeah. And I suppose as I, as I kind of fell into the food world, then uh, it always puts it on the forefront. And, you know, it's funny where, this is the time people start asking questions. But for us, we were doing pancake videos last November 
in preparation yeah. for next week. You know, uh, everything we do is is forecasted and pre-scheduled. So we're not rushing to make a pancake video this weekend for Tuesday. It, it's done. It's made. Um, and you know, just being in the space that we have, we've made so much content over the last two years. It's a case of we've probably covered every recipe. So it's a case of bring it yeah. back up, reshare it again when it's relevant. Um, but not in my house, it will be absolutely celebrated. I'm actually doing a live stream with Mary I and we're cooking pancakes live. So um, Tune in. Buttermilk, pan buttermilk pancakes are, are on the menu. Toppings <laughs> wise, I'm not too sure yet, but I would imagine Nutella will be there some space. That's a, it's a very big debate, the topic debate. Yeah, I know. I, I, I go back and forth on it. When I'm at home, eh, uh, my my family home will say out, out in West Limerick, it's more crepe style pancakes. Yeah. You know, it's the fat ones that you might roll up and it's always uh, sugar and lemon. Yeah. Maybe maybe a bit of Nutella if mam is going very fancy, but sugar and lemon is usually what it is. Protein pancakes, yeah, they've been massive. I think that, you know, it's a very it's a very Americanized thing and, and it eventually came off to Ireland, the UK. Yeah. Um, and I was, I'm a, I am a still, I'm a huge advocate for them. They're, they're, it's obviously it's a great source of protein and it's, it's a nice, healthier way of making the pancakes. And yeah. it's just simply adding in a scoop of whey protein to your, to your batter. There's no real, there's no real science or, or tricks behind this. It's if you have yeah. a scoop, add it in, you'll get, you'll not only flavor the pancakes, but you'll, you'll get an extra bang of protein, which is great too. Um, but yeah, I don't know how well it would go down now if, in my mother's kitchen if I was throwing in way into her into her batter. Controversial, oh my goodness. Yeah. But um, as well with the pancakes, the big question, flipping it or not? Oh, double flip it. Triple flip oh. it if you can, absolutely. Oh, talent, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh. Always, always. Um, that was the biggest thing at home. Like even I, before I could cook the pancakes, ma'am would get them and then I would step in and try and do the flip. Yeah. And if I flipped 10, I would say maybe one and a half. They would all either hit the ceiling or hit the floor. Oh. Um, but, uh, that's part and parcel of it. You, yeah. you, you can't be making pancakes if you're not flipping them. Well, that is some flipping great advice. So that is all from us here at The Breakfast Club. And I'm off to have some pancakes. But do let us know what you are having on your pancakes by using the hashtag The Breakfast Club or by following us on Twitter at The Breakfast Club. My thanks to producer Cahalo Sullivan and all the Breakfast Club team. Be sure to join us tomorrow at the same time for another jam-packed show. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.